Hello, my name is Sarah Sloan, and you're listening to The Sarah Sloan Show. Hope you guys are having a wonderful day. Look outside a window if you're near one. If you're not, look into the wall. I'm joined here with my father. We're going to discuss the news. I first wanted to go to this one story. Um, This is from the Epoch Times. You might have already seen it, Dad, but... Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) There's a Texas Democrat who she confirmed she went to Portugal after fleeing the state. So we all know the Texas Democrats, they fled the state so that the uh, Texas House would not be able to, you know, make legislation during the special session with the governor that the governor mandated. And they fled because they were going to have some election reform and they don't want that Mm. because they wouldn't go their way. So they are going to D.C. They've been in D.C. for a few weeks. Apparently a few have gone back and forth kind of a thing. And supposedly they should be getting arrested, but it doesn't seem like that ever happens. And so, yeah, this one Democrat, uh, Jessica Gonzalez, she went to Portugal. And uh, (laughs) the reason is because she was getting married. Hmm. To a woman. Oh. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's gay. Um, yeah, so we all say family comes first. That, fa- uh, that value should apply to all families, including mine. I made the decision not to share where I was so that my wife and I could get married in privacy. I wanted us to have the special day surrounded by a few of our friends and loved ones. Apparently her wife is Angela Hale, a registered lobbyist for Equality Texas, which is an organization that advocates for the LGBT and uh, another representative, Julie Johnson, also went to Portugal. And then there was even, let's see, there was even another one, uh, Representative Victoria Niave. She also left Washington early in August to get married. So mm. that's apparently a thing now. We all just got to get married. and Maybe the Republicans could have gone to Portugal and held the session there. Oh, that's a great idea. So... You know, because one one could one could argue, okay, they're they're really actually working in Washington. They're really trying to fight this. Um, I think that's stupid, but at least you could argue that. Now they're just using it to go to Portugal to get married and vacation and honeymoon and all that. So it starts to make them look a little bad, just a little. But we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Okay, and then another piece of news, Arizona governor blocks funding from schools uh, mandating masks. Doug Ducey, a Republican, he announced that he's not going to provide funds to school districts that are trying to impose mask requirements on students. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I'm very glad to hear that. So, okay, the governor said that district and charter schools in Arizona that follow state laws will be eligible for $163 million in grant funding that is intended to boost per-student spending. Um, Yeah, they're going against the law, and yeah, Arizona doesn't mandate masks, vaccinations, or vaccine passports. And he's, he's really making the argument of parents know, or parents want best for their children, so they can make the decision. Mm-hmm. which is very common sense, uh, a very common sense of coal approach. And of course, was it just today that Biden was talking about uh, suing the governors who are uh, blocking mask mandates? 
oh, wow. in, in school districts. And that even if they have uh, provisions where they would withhold funding from teachers or I think that would be requiring this, that they, the government will make up for that funding, the federal government will. <laughs> so in other words, trying to, uh, if there's any penalties imposed by the state <clears throat> as, to, as to that, the federal government will support them and pay anything that they might lose. Is that even constitutional? <laughs> you know, I thought all the educational was run through the states in terms of all the funding. Yeah. It's always been a state matter. Wow. Um, apparently, the World Health Organization says on its website that children under the age of six should not be required to wear a mask. So. Yeah, I know they're dealing with a little older group uh, yeah, under 12. Sure. Of course, kindergarten is six, um, so there's probably some overlap there. But, uh, yeah, there's something from the CDC that <clears throat> they're grabbing a hold of to support this. But, um, yeah, it it's causing a lot of uh, division. I think the federal government's position is mask mandates. And, you know, because they can spread it even if they don't catch it or even if they don't catch it badly or you know they're not harmed by a severe case or anything because they're not vaccinated and therefore they have to wear masks the at least these conservative governors their position is let the parents choose which i think makes probably more sense well it's just okay supposedly you are protected from the virus if you get vaccinated so what's it to you if another person Mm -hmm. doesn't you're protected so who cares about the other person? And it's... Um, well, I guess, you know, they, they would probably take arguments that um, I could go to, you know, assuming almost all of them are not vaccinated, at least 12 and under. Uh, yeah, because I think actually there's been a lot of guidance that they, maybe it's not even safe for them to be. I don't really know the exact ages. But... If they're all unvaccinated, but they could catch it, then spread it to the parents. Mm. Uh, and yeah, pretty much the the left, I think their position is they, they just want this enforced uh, to stop the movement of the variants and any form of COVID. So yeah, they're just thinking this is this will, you know, stop it in its tracks. We don't want it moving around through the school kids, which could happen, obviously. Um, And, of course, there's all kinds of arguments about the efficacy of masks in that. But, obviously, they believe in it. it. (laughs) So you can believe in fairy tales if you want. New Zealand, they apparently shut down the whole country just because one person got COVID. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Um. And then I uh, just saw this as well. The TSA, you know, they're the Transportation Secretary Administration, and they do the security checks uh, in airports. They extended the mask mandate into January of 2022, which I guess that's no surprise. Mm, mm, Just for airplane travel, airports, such. Yeah, they can't really control. Mm. Well, okay, for travelers on airplanes, trains, and buses, as well as at airports and train stations. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, they have control of more than just airplanes. You know, I see that as a minor inconvenience. Uh, I, I guess if you travel a lot, it, it would be 
more more significant. Um, okay, so there was there was a bit of okay. Um, not everybody has been compliant with mask mandates on public transportation. The Federal Aviation Administration said Tuesday that 2,867 incidents had been reported by airlines of passengers refusing to wear a mask. 2,867 refusing to wear a mask. So they count it. Mm. It's interesting that they do count it. I wonder how that's dealt with. Um, You know, obviously the heavy-handed way is lay in the plane and have them arrested. Or... I'm kind of suspecting they're not doing that. They're just making a note. Obviously, probably the names are taken. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think they would. Well, we'd probably be hearing about it if they were landing planes for it. And also making arrests. I, you know, I wonder. I, I don't. You know, obviously, if you're not going to wear it going onto the plane, then they, they can just not let you get on. Yeah, that's true. But once you're on the plane and then you take off your mask in flight, then I, I think they just kind of let it let it be. Yeah, it, well, I, I've heard all kinds of stories of even, yeah, during bites, they're like, put it on during your bite. Like some mm. people doing that, some yeah. flight attendants. Interesting, so, yeah. Yeah, it, and then you hear others where it's like, no, I ate the whole time. I just made sure I was constantly eating. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. the whole flight? Yeah, the whole flight. <laughs> I just wouldn't stop eating. <laughs> right. I don't know why they're country. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so apparently Biden, he was, he came out to do a speech, and it was not about Afghanistan. The last episode, we kind of detailed all about Afghanistan, what's happening there, Taliban taking over, and it's still going on. You know, there's... They're trying to get people away, and so you would have hoped that he would have spoken about Afghanistan, but he didn't. So I'm just going to play uh, just like two minutes of him speaking. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some world leaders who say America shouldn't get a third shot until other countries got their first shot. I disagree. We can take care of America and help the world at the same time. In June and July, America administered 50 million shots here in the United States, and we donated 100 million shots to other countries. That means that America has donated more vaccine to other countries than every other country in the world combined. During the coming months of fall and early winter, we expect to give out another about 100,000 boosters, and the United States will donate more than 200 million additional doses to other countries. This will keep us on our way to meeting our pledge of more than 600 million vaccine donations, over half a billion. As I said before, we're going to be the arsenal of vaccines to beat this pandemic as we were the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. So let me conclude with this. The threat of the Delta virus remains real. But we are prepared. We have the tools. We can do this. To all those of you who are unvaccinated, please get vaccinated for yourself and for your loved ones, your neighborhood and for your community. And to the rest of America, this is no time to let our guard down. We just need to finish the job with science, with facts and with confidence. And together, as the United States of America, we'll get this done. God bless you all and may God protect our troops. Thank you.
I wanted you to hear the end because he took no questions. That's standard policy for him. Oh, he, yeah. He did end by saying, God protect our troops, which I think was wetting their appetite for a segue, which never occurred. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, so basically, the, uh, yeah, the Biden administration, they called for the third shot. So I thought it was supposed to be a one and done. Well, what the CDC is now saying is the efficacy or effectiveness of the of the vaccine is waning for the Delta variant. So it's basically saying it's not being as effective against it. And why would the booster not wane at some point? Or, you know, so anyway, to think that this is ever really done uh, is kind of presumptuous. And that's the problem of it all. If if your goal is that no one ever has COVID again and we completely eradicate it from the earth, that's never going to happen. So quit. Mm-hmm. Quit trying to control our lives like this. People are just going to have to deal with it the way that they need to deal with it. Whatever feels best for them. For me, I don't feel the need to get a vaccine. For me, I don't feel the need to get a mask or to wear a mask at all. I have no desire to do that. And for some people, they want to get every shot they could possibly get. If they could get more, they could. If they could wear 15 masks on their face, they could. Fine. I don't Mm -hmm. care. Do it. It doesn't affect me. Mm -hmm. But that's the problem. They want to put their will on you, on the person that doesn't want to do anything. You know, for the, they like to talk about the unvaccinated as being the scourge of society and blame everything on them. Well, what about unvaccinated who have had COVID? And you might assume a lot of them have in one form or another varying symptoms. So they're developing their antibodies. And it's almost like as you, an unvaccinated person, would have a brush with COVID and maybe feel some symptoms, uh, that's your vaccine so to speak, that puts antibodies in you and however long, however many months that that lasts, some say longer than the vaccine itself. Uh, And then, of course, regularly you're encountering COVID in the workplace or wherever you may be, and that's building up more immunity as a little bit, it comes at you in very small amounts. And so... That's just another strategy, and it arguably is just as effective as vaccines. Yes, yes, definitely so. And, yeah, so this is, yeah, they're going to continue with this, and, yeah, we're donating, we're donating. Um, and I, in their minds, we want to eradicate it from the earth. So, of course, we're going to donate to everybody. Um, At taxpayer expense. That's the problem. And, you know, I think if you could follow the money here, who's who's – being enriched it's the businesses that are making these vaccines particularly bill gates Mm. he is being enriched it would be interesting to follow the money because this is now federal money taxpayer money enriching them there's payoffs under the table stuff happening here you know it's not just oh we're sending 200 million vaccines no 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 we are enriching we're paying off a pharmaceutical company 
and that and the result of it you know they want you to focus on oh what a wonderful noble thing we're doing trying to vaccinate the rest of the world uh, instead it's money flows and it has to do with payoffs and agreements that have been made yeah probably very stupid agreements like mm-hmm. We'll we'll do advertising for you, or we'll do like just very dumb stuff. But mm-hmm. apparently, the Biden administration plans to tell nursing homes that they will be required to vaccinate their staff against COVID nineteen or risk losing Medicare and Medicaid funding. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really it's not this like oh it's not that big of a deal. They are there's even some I think New York was saying you can't even get hospital. Or no, I think some guy was theorizing that you shouldn't be able to get hospital care if you don't get the vaccine. Mm. He's like, you're doing it to yourself. It's like, yeah, there's full-scale coercion at this point. And even if there are lawsuits, <clears throat> it'll be way too late. Um, those take a long time to see any anything change. And yeah, a lot of people are losing their livelihoods. You know, anybody that wants to stand up against it Otherwise, you know, you're just forced to cave in. Yeah, I saw some uh, some guy, he called New York uh, kind of government and asked if there were medical exemptions to the vaccine mandate. And the answer was no. There's mm. no medical exemptions. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, this is anecdotal. This doesn't mean this is everybody, but I've heard just cons- a constant steady stream of stories where this is really affecting people. Um, the vaccine is where uh, miscarriages are happening with those that are pregnant. Mm-hmm. One guy that was very much in shape, his body became like extremely bloated and almost like liquefied mm-hmm. uh, in his internals. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, they, they started having heart issues when they never had had heart issues before. It's just, and that's the thing. It's anecdotal. That doesn't mean it's happening with everybody, but you have to get it. That's what society is saying. You have to do it. Mm. You cannot fly. You cannot go to the gym. You cannot go to the hospital to get medical care unless you get this. That's so messed up. And there's no recourse if you get any side effects. No. Nothing. Yeah, and that's the thing. It wasn't even approved by the FDA. Mm -hmm. Not that I care. It doesn't make a difference to me at all. But that this is important. So obviously it's good that, you know, it's a pandemic. So... Of course, Biden's going to speak on that. But the fact that his whole speech was just about this mm. and didn't even once mention Afghanistan and didn't even take a single question from a reporter. I think CNN was even saying, like, uh, mm. you know, what'd you say? He's getting really good at not answering questions. From yeah, <laughs> walking away from reporters. Yeah, that's a really good skill. <laughs> <laughs> He's very talented with that. Um, okay, so let's see. Uh, here's Jen Zaki came back from her vacation. Mm. She looks refreshed uh she didn't get her roots done because she dyes her hair uh red and she has brown hair <laughs> so i can see the roots um but at least she's refreshed so let's listen to some of her with her white house press briefing go ahead thank you um, you mentioned at the top that about 700 people have been evacuated mm-hmm. in the past 24 hours pentagon officials including press secretary john kirby 
um, expect that number to increase to yeah. five to nine thousand a day. Can you talk about what needs to happen between now and then to ramp the number up, and when you expect to hit it? Sure, Weijian, it's a good question. I think what uh, what I had been referring to just a few minutes ago was the fact that our focus uh, has been on securing uh, not just the perimeter of the airport, but also operational capacity at the airport, which of course is a Department of Defense uh, operation they're overseeing uh, in coordination with the State Department. And so uh, because we've had success in that regard, we are uh, hopeful and expect to expedite additional flights out. So that was not the place where we were at this time yesterday. And given we've made progress in this regard, uh, we are hopeful to uh, increase the number of people, uh, American citizens, SIV applicants, and others that we can uh, get out of the country. Understanding that Americans have been called to the airport, but it's up to them to travel there at their own risk. Um, why isn't the U.S. providing any support, any transportation for them to get to Kabul? Well, I would just go back to what our national security advisor uh, discussed as it relates to uh, the Taliban and discussions with them about safe passage for uh, people who are coming to the airport. We've also seen, uh, I don't have an exact number for you, I'm sure the Department of Defense and State Department can provide that, but a large number of American citizens and others making their way successfully to the airport over the course of the last 24 hours. Just one more. I know we all tried to ask Jake this question, but can you offer any guarantee to the Americans and Afghan allies that if they remain there past the end of the month, U.S. troops will help them evacuate well, past think, the end of the month. Weijia, our, our focus right now is uh, undoing the work at hand and on the task at hand, and that is day by day getting as many American citizens, as many SIV applicants, as many members of a vulnerable population who are eligible to be evacuated to the airport and out on planes. Uh, and we're going to do that in an expeditious fashion. That is the focus of the President, of our Secretary of Defense, of our Secretary of, of State, uh, and everybody on our national security team. Uh, so that, that is where we will keep our efforts going. In other words, no guarantee. Yep. Which, how can you guarantee? Under yeah, yeah. country that's under Taliban control, you know, you get down on your knees and beg. You you don't know what they're going to say, though. You know, they they could say, it stops on this date. You know, we we have no control over there. Uh, you know, we have a few thousand troops. It's not anywhere near enough to make something happen. Oh yeah. And you know, probably as well. I don't think we have vehicles and you know, to even logistically go out and pick people up. And I'm not sure that would, that probably would endanger those soldiers. And who knows, you know, I'm not sure they're, they'd be happy about American soldiers driving around and picking people up all over the place. So it, difficult situations. And by the way, wasn't her trip supposed to be the 15th through the 22nd, so she came back early? She did. <laughs> Might as well give her some credit there. There we go. Good job, Saki. She followed her boss's example. Yes, yes. He came back from his vacation early as well. Um, Sandy Rio said actually she was theorizing on her show that they are trying to set up Joe Biden to make him take the fall for all of this, and that's why they even posed him in that photo mm. where he's alone in the situation room mm -hmm. looking at the Zoom screen because then it looks like he made this all on his, his the, deci the decisions all on his own mm -hmm. um, because they're trying to get rid of him. You can clearly see that Harris is not in the picture. It's amazing how, you know, the optics of these things, <clears throat> you know, just by 
which one you have doing the speaking. You know, you're trying to communicate that the other one had nothing to do with decisions, where it may be the exact opposite. You know, so we don't even know that what they're showing us is accurate. You know, Kamala might have been more involved. You know, we, we don't have any, just the f- person they stick in front of the microphone, that means absolutely nothing. Yeah, that, and we all know so there's true. people behind the scenes that are neither Biden nor Harris, you know, that are pulling strings, and we don't even know who they are. So, yeah, I, I listened to this other show, uh, Crystal and Sagar, and they're, they're very popular, you know, political show. And they have just the most radically different take on it that I, I agree with parts of their arguments and then other parts I'm just like, no, you're flat wrong. And they are saying that this is one of the, um, the best things that Biden has done and that he is the first anti-war president that's actually standing up and doing it. Because every, every other president, Trump included, was saying, oh, uh, we're going to get them out. We're going to get them out. And whenever he was president, they didn't get him out. They didn't get the, the troops out of Afghanistan. Even though they said that they would do it, they said it again and again and again. Obama did, Bush, you know. And so he's actually standing up and doing it. Um, you know, they both are saying that it's obviously terrible what's happening there. And they're never happy about that. But that it was going to be like that anyway, no matter how you did it. Um, that it's kind of lunacy to think that there was a better strategic way of getting them out. Mm. That that's kind of a myth. And then that... Yeah, so it just basically very positive. No matter what, he's not backing down. He's actually the first one. And basically these whole 20 years, everybody claims that they really care about this now, but they didn't seem to care all these 20 years that the troops were there. So it's a completely different view. And they're like, and that's why you guys listen to us because we're not the corporate media um, where they all sound the same. They all sing the same songs and everything else. And so, um, yeah, what do you think about that? You know, I, I still think there must have been a better way, even if it would have eventually led to Taliban takeover, <clears throat> that it wouldn't have been an 11-day thing. It, it would have, you know, taken longer, whether that was the U.S. remaining around, you know, long enough to bomb things and uh, to help in certain ways. Uh, and certainly, why wouldn't you evacuate more of your people earlier than leave them all there for them to arrive. You know, that that just, to me, is unacceptable. So I guess I would tend to disagree with that. Yeah, you know, overall, there is a strong argument that it needed to take place at some point, although we don't know the future. The future will be, will this become a headquarters for terrorism? You know, obviously 9-11 had roots there. So, you know, uh, and the whole purpose of going in was to stop that so that it couldn't happen again. And, you know, it's a very unique country, and um, it's kind of strange in a sense the Afghanis tend to really fight hard, and yet in this takeover something was causing them to cave, and I guess I'd like to know more. I remember, of course, what Ben Shapiro said, but I'd like to know more detail about that, you know, why they just felt like they 
had no recourse but to surrender. Yeah, and um, apparently in the last, you know, the what Biden was saying, where he was really putting it uh, on the Afghanis, saying, mm-hmm. if they didn't even want to fight this war, why should we fight for them? Apparently in the past seven years, 50,000 uh, Afghanis have died, like over 50,000. And then um, I think in all the 20 years, weren't you giving me a number? 2,300. 2,300, which, yeah, obviously a life is a life, uh, but that isn't that much mm-hmm. if we really put it in perspective here and we're yeah. being like kind of realistic about it. Not even a 9-11. No. Yeah, yeah. 9-11. Yeah, you're right. It was more. That's a very good point. Um, so, yeah, there's just a lot of different ways to think about it. But, yeah, no matter what I'm thinking, uh, I have heard a few arguments. Could they not? Like, what is really the biggest deal about just leaving some troops there? Mm-hmm. Just some. Mm-hmm. Not a bunch. Maybe like uh, Megan Kelly was arguing for 2,500. Mm-hmm. Is that really that terrible to leave just that amount of people there? Because then the Taliban wouldn't have dominated Afghanistan mm. if that had been the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we do have a presence in many countries. So, and then, of course, the reason that uh, the Afghanis surrendered is because they have been trained to fight with the, the flight support from mm-hmm. the Americans. Mm-hmm. And that was stripped away. So they were not prepared to fight. And they knew they couldn't do it without that flight support. So they basically were just like, we're going to lose. I would really like to hear, you know, from some different voices. You know, you hear this General Miley, and he's just, of course, speaking for Biden. So, of course, he's going to say what he says. But, for example, Afghani generals, the ones that survived this, you know, to hear them speak, to me, would have a lot of credibility you know, I wonder how they felt when they heard Biden's speech and if they felt like he was really mischaracterizing them as cowards and that maybe they have some insights into this that would really give clarity to it. And I kind of have a feeling the Biden administration wouldn't even want that to get out. Oh, for sure. But it would be very interesting to hear it. I want to play this clip, uh, Sky News Australia, and it's uh, the guest that you're going to hear. He did a document documentary uh, in Afghanistan, so he, he really knows the place, just to hear some of his insight. And then, of course, their main topic of discussion is that Joe Biden, his approval ratings because of this are really going down. Mm-hmm. So here, let's listen. Welcome to the program. It's great to be here. What, I'm not your favorite, just Paul Murray's? Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, you're mine as well. Yes, even just for the night, it's you're mine. Oh, dang it. No, it's not. It might load. The mine as well. Okay, How have Americans reacted to what's occurred in Kabul? They would appreciate the withdrawal, right? Yeah, I, I think most people understand that we're, we're, we didn't want to be there for another 30 years and that some kind of drawback. And keep in mind, we've been drawing back for, for years. This is not new. Uh, this is just now a full withdrawal. Uh, President Trump wanted to have a full withdrawal. But here's the difference. It's all about the execution. He, he What he ended up doing was making the absolute worst foreign policy disaster since Vietnam and then coupled it with probably the most pathetic mealy-mouthed speech I have ever heard in my life. And Americans have not responded well. Uh, in the snap polls they've had, he's down 7% since 
since the withdrawal. He, and that's significant because for the first time, he is now underwater. He is now below 50% approval rating in the United States because it was an incredible thing to watch. I mean, he stood there and took absolutely, completely, he dropped all, he pushed all the blame away and he shifted it in ways that just didn't, didn't track. He blamed President Trump. President Trump, A, isn't president, uh, B, President Trump, yes, he was negotiating a withdrawal, but he had a deal in place with the Taliban. Yeah. With a very specific step the Taliban had to take. They didn't fulfill those steps. In other words, he would not have withdrawn. But knowing they haven't taken those steps, knowing they weren't a real partner, he just he just left. Yeah. And then he blamed the Afghans, which is so sad. I mean, the Afghans have been there taking the brunt of the death and the fighting in the last two years. We haven't had an American death there in almost two years. The, the, the Afghans have lost 50,000 people over the last seven years. And the reason why, you know, people are wondering, well, how did it fall so quickly? We spent a trillion dollars. We spent 20 years training them. That's true. But the reason why it fails is because we train them in a very specific way. We trained them to do it in concert with air power, American air power. But we took all that away. Um, it was it was just sad, sad to see. And then, of course, you know, he ran he ran out of there. Uh, like you was trying to catch the the last plane out of Kabul. I mean, it was uh, it was pathetic. It was pathetic. Uh, what are the American people are saying about lending a hand to get others, you know, uh, evacuated from Kabul? The American people want all. The, the American people are solidly behind making sure that our people are out, that that the, the journalists, the people who are there lending a hand are out, and uh -huh. and importantly, making sure our allies and our friends who risk their lives. Yeah while we were there to help us, and certainly are sentenced to death if we leave them there. I think exactly. Americans are solidly exactly. behind that and bring them to the United States. Inexplicable. Um, yeah, so. Mm. Yeah, well, even some of his, um, what he said about, uh, you know, it mirrors what Ben Shapiro said as to the withdrawal of air support, and which was the way in which they were trained to fight and defend, and then that was pulled away from them. So they were, they would have had to improvise on the spot, and they just didn't. Yeah, and I, I really do keep on going to this. It really seems like this was intentional, mm -hmm. and it seems like they wanted Taliban to take over the area, mm -hmm. and what you're theorizing, that it could be a center for terrorism, mm -hmm. because the reality is that there's a stream of Democrats and, and elites that are for globalism, where it's just there is a global power, and they hope to be at the top of mm -hmm. that power, mm -hmm. because then they can be in control of more, because they are already very power-hungry people. That's why they have been presidents, and mm -hmm. they're in the administration, and you know they're in all of that, mm -hmm. um, versus you know people that are just living their lives. They're not interested in the power. They don't need it. They're not mm -hmm. hungry for it. So... Um, there's a lot of that going on. And then I know this is a bit much, but, um, I did want to play this because they have a journalist, Sky News Australia has a journalist there. And so he kind of talks about, you know, what he's seeing. And I, I just think it's very insightful. In Kabul. Yes, he, he's there. Ramsey has more from Kabul where thousands of people have gathered outside the international airport for a third day in a desperate attempt to flee Afghanistan. As every day passes, this relief operation gets more and more urgent and desperate. 
Afghans hoping to escape have to walk through ranks of Taliban fighters. The British military are trying to move thousands of people out of Afghanistan in just days. It's a humanitarian mission in what feels like a war zone. A makeshift barricade is all that separates two armies who have fought for 20 years. The Taliban are just one meter away. It's a picture I never thought I would ever see. This is the first day that they've been able to bring order here. We've watched as thousands converged on this base, threatening to overwhelm the whole evacuation. The Taliban have assisted in this. Up the road, they're now controlling the crowds of people trying to reach the British position. Sometimes they fire into the air to make people stop. But they are a continuously menacing presence. Well, this is a humanitarian effort, but it's being done by the military because we're effectively in a war zone. And what's incredible, just one step away, there's a Taliban right next to the British uh, forces who are trying to assess the people who are trying to get onto these relief flights. As one of the soldiers said to me, they could mess this up by just sending a thousand blokes down the road at the moment. They're cooperating and uh, they're actually keeping things calm. It looks like chaos, but there is a method. The soldiers call out for interpreters as different nationalities arrive. Their paperwork is then checked. If they pass muster, they're directed to the entry gate to be processed inside. But many do not. The soldiers hate this, but without the proper paperwork, they have to turn people away. Terrified families, men, women and large numbers of children are sent back. Back into Afghanistan. Back towards the Taliban. And it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it, it is absolutely terrible. <sighs> well, you think of, you know, the criteria. Of course, a lot of it is probably your citizenship or... Um, but, you know, what about believers? What about those that are associated with NGOs? What about those associated with churches? You know, I heard something today that if they find on your cell phone any numbers, phone numbers of any Americans or foreigners, uh, that's it. You die. My gosh. So they have some really strict... Um, criteria the taliban you know they don't want foreign influence and yeah there, there's it's going to be a difficult time after all this evacuation ends and for all who remain mm -hmm. you know you can see there's a lot more that want to get out uh, that apparently don't have what it takes to get out and, and the worst part is they're they have a lot of planes that are leaving mm -hmm. And they're not even filled. They're so, only partially filled. Oh, wow. Sounds like lifeboats from the Titanic. Mm -hmm. mm. And they, you know, their goal is to get them filled. But mm -hmm. yeah, like 30-something people. when they, It could be like over 100. Wow, what a waste when you've got thousands out there. Still, yeah. hopefully as the days go by, that'll dwindle to hundreds. But at this point, it's still thousands. Oh, yeah. I think the goal for the UK was to get a thousand people back mm. 
to their country. I think each country had kind of their estimates. I think for us it was like 5,000. Mm. But there's a lot more people in there than that. Boy, you would wish some of the ones going to different countries could get on the UK plane, you know, fill it up and uh, uh, yeah. then from there travel. Yeah, and <laughs> someone someone else listening today, they were saying, let's have, you know, uh, General Milley and all these people, how about they go? Mm, how about mm. they get sent into Afghanistan mm. and deal with it since they're such experts? Right. They know what they're doing. They know how to defend themselves. Yeah. It, it just total loss of perspective and and just lack of care for human lives. It's callous. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's no concern. You know, they tried to make it sound that way. The concern about American soldiers and loss of American soldiers' lives. You know, that they don't want that to go on. As I said, it's been almost two years since the last one. But, you know, you, you think about all these other multitudes and um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of concern for them. Nope, not at all. So, yeah, keep them in your prayers. Um, they, they need it. So let's go to the verse. It's going to be Esther. Let's see. Esther chapter 2. Yes, this is like a bit more than one verse, but I'll just read it. Now, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the woman, advised, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So yeah, the basically the backstory for that is that um, the king asked his wife Vashti to come in and what, like dance or something. Yeah, just wanted to show off her her beauty. Yeah. And basically she said no. And then he was drunk and his men started saying, wow, if if she gets away with just saying no to you, then every woman's going to start saying no to her husband. So you should get rid of her and uh, find a new wife. And so they had all the, all the, I don't know, village or place mm -hmm. <laughs> send in their virgins. And Esther was one of them. And she kind of had like a beauty contest. Or? Yeah, it really was in a sense. And so each of them, they would sleep with the king mm -hmm. and spend time with him. And then he would usually say like, no, no, no. And then she was sent in and she gained his heart and she became the queen. And the, the interesting part is that, which is like, why, why was she chosen? Was she really like so much more beautiful? Mm -hmm. Like what was going on? And it's that she requested nothing but what the king's eunuch, eunuch advised her to take because mm. you could take in, you know, necklaces or certain garments, and mm -hmm. she took in what the eunuch advised. So she was humble to take his advice. Mm. She was, uh, you know, looking for wisdom, and she also showed that she was not just trying to take a bunch of jewels and steal from the king. She wasn't mm. going after him for his power or for anything like that. She was just in there simply just to be there with the king. Mm. 
you know, initially she had gained the favor of the eunuch. He probably wasn't giving out this advice to just everybody. And then think of it, he'd been around for a while. And so he figured out what the king liked. So his advice had a basis to it. He wasn't just guessing. And so all that combined. And then there just seemed to be something even in a spiritual way that there was grace and favor upon her toward or everybody, the eunuch and all those attendants. Uh, there was just something different about her. And uh, I'm sure when it comes to a beauty contest, there's a lot of nastiness and someone that is above it sticks out. Oh, yeah. Speaking from experience, it yeah, it's it's key to stand out. <laughs> <laughs> those those people get pretty nasty. So and that's how I won every year. <laughs> did you you won Miss Congeniality, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I did. My talent. What was my talent? I don't know. Tap dancing. Yes. Yeah, I'm really good at that. <laughs> I make Fred Astaire look like he had no legs. <laughs> <laughs> Ginger Rogers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a really good um, story. And yeah, it's just something that we can learn about and, or yeah, learn from. And then there's a lot more to the story. But uh, that part, I think, is just so important. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy the show. And don't look into the wall for too long. Make sure you also look into a window. Have a great day.